you know, four years ago, I, I struggled to believe the gospel that I had preached to. I struggled uh, to believe in Jesus' forgiveness. Uh, I was so overwhelmed by the reality of my sin and the shame that I was feeling and the guilt that was very real. But you as a church reminded me in gathered worship every week and so often through phone calls and notes to not give up. <laughs> and you gave me and Heidi and my sons a safe place to heal, uh, to repent, and to be restored. In so many ways, uh, God has used you and these times of gathered worship to rescue me. I want to tell you uh, and celebrate with you today the way that God um, <laughs> used the worst day of my life and turned it over the last almost five years to be the best day of my life. I want to remind you of the most amazing display of Jesus' love and forgiveness and hope that I've ever experienced in my life, even though it also began on the most shameful and despairing time of my life. In the spring of 2013, I stepped down as the associate pastor of Wyndham Baptist Church. Uh, I had been living in unrepentant sin. But, like a loving father, our Heavenly Father, exposed my sin. <laughs> I didn't repent willingly. I went kicking and screaming, and I was freaked out that God would let this be known. But today... I see his goodness, I see his love, and I am not even, I don't even doubt that in an instance now. Like a heavenly, like a loving father, he exposed my sin of lust, and I was a fool and a hypocrite to think that I could keep that under control, or that I could manage my own sin. There's a, sin, uh, a saying, uh, an old preacher used to say, that we should be killing sin, or sin will kill you. That's true. And it was well on that way in my life. I had sinned against God because I began to worship lust more than Christ. I sinned against my wife Heidi, committing adultery in my heart and dishonoring her. I even sinned against you, my church family, by not trusting that God's people could handle my sin and help me walk through confession and repentance. And that reflected poorly on our Lord Jesus and made a mockery of the power of the gospel to change and transform sinners. But the way that you responded to my confession that, that day set in motion my restoration. It set in motion a resolve and a commitment to not just confess, but to truly repent and to leave that sin behind and put off sin and put on Christ. The moment that I got done confessing my sin... Pastor Mark said something along the lines of, maybe there are a few people here who would like to come forward and, and just offer some encouragement and hope to Josh and Heidi. I think I'd already bawled and cried my eyes out of probably a gallon or two of tears, I think, at that point. And the whole church came forward. Everyone came forward and cried with us and prayed with us, weeping as much as we were weeping, and offered me and Heidi the hope that Christ will not just get us through this, but he will bring more good out of this than we could imagine. 
I'll never, ever forget that day. Because I saw Jesus in you. And I saw the power of God's scandalous grace in a real way that I'd never seen or experienced. And you've never stopped loving us along the way these past almost five years. In so many ways, you have showed us and reminded us the hope that is ours in Jesus. And you know what? This is a huge testament to this church family because there has not been a single day where I have felt the need that we should, have to, we should go to another church, we should find another place to worship God because I just feel unwelcomed or unloved. You have done quite the opposite, and I thank God for you. I praise God for your love. And I hope this morning we get to celebrate that because I, as I was preparing to preach today, I was praying and thinking about what I might share, and there was a passage that just kept ringing in my mind about how as a church, you responded to us, and you've loved us and helped us and walked us through this road of restoration. And it's uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. You can certainly turn there, because we're going to be looking at that. And, and I hope that, uh, I don't know quite how to preach anymore. It's been a while, but also God has changed me. And I know at least for today... What I hope we can do is just look at this passage together and be reminded of how God has commanded and encouraged and exhorted the church to help each other persevere when we feel like giving up. Because I know as slowly I've been walking through this restoration and a little bit getting my eyes off of me and my problems, um, you're walking through difficult things as well. It may not be sin that you've had to repent of. It might be sin that's been done to you. It might be different hardships with your family or health issues, job issues. It's countless. But we need to know as a church, how can we help each other persevere when we feel like giving up? And God has shown us in this passage um, a very important lesson. So let's read this together. Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25. Let's read God's word. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's word. Indeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it gives us hope when we're hopeless. Thank you that it shows us that you are faithful, that you love us. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is with us today to make us more like you, to make us more like Jesus. So I pray that you would do that in this time that we have together. Thank you that you love us. We praise you in Jesus' name. This passage in Hebrews 10 
uh, as part of the larger letter. Uh, Craig preached last week, and it was fantastic, and I think it sets up a lot of what we're going to share and learn today. Um, but this letter, and just to be brief, is written to Jewish Christians, some of the very first Jewish Christians, um, and they were being tempted to walk away from Jesus and to walk away from his church because times were getting really tough for them. Uh, some were being persecuted. They're being persecuted by even their own families, being disowned, losing their jobs because of their allegiance to Jesus as the true Messiah. And some of their family didn't like that, and so they were experiencing this persecution. Some others were being seduced, seduced away from obedience to Jesus and rather obedience to their flesh. And they were living in sin. And so the writer of this letter wrote to them and saying, look, Jesus is better than going back to your old religious ways without the hope of Jesus. And Jesus is better than anything that your heart and your flesh can desire. Come back to Jesus. And what's so powerful about this passage is that he shows us that this isn't up to individual Christians to walk out and to live the way that we persevere in our faith in Jesus is together. I don't know if you noticed, but in this passage, um, and we'll look at them, but there are three things that the author says. He says, let us draw near to God in faith. And then a couple of verses later, he says, secondly, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. And lastly, let us stir up or continue to love one another. His God-given formula, if you will, of how a church can help each other persevere is faith, hope, and love. And we do this together. I've seen it in so many ways in, in my life, in our family's life, the last four or five years uh, of how you've done that for us. I, I'll share a few tidbits of testimony that I want to just celebrate how you've done that for us, but I also want and I pray that God will use this morning to give us new ways of loving each other and in our community to show Jesus' love to a world that desperately needs it. Let's look at this together. The first way that we help each other persevere is by drawing near to God in faith together. Look at verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. This is for us to do together. Let us draw near to God in full assurance of faith. Now, it says earlier in verse 19 that we're supposed to do this with confidence. Well, let me ask you this. How do guilty sinners draw near to a holy God with confidence? Do we try to wash ourselves up and make ourselves all clean before God? Go to church every day? You know, every week for six months, and then finally God might see that we're serious about Him and He might answer our prayers? Is that how? Of course not. We're tempted to believe that some way our works or our faithfulness is what gives us the right to be in God's presence, but God's Word says there's not anything that we need to do. There's actually something that's already been done, and there, in fact, it's not about something, it's about someone, isn't it? It's about Jesus. There's only one person and one way that 
Guilty sinners like us can be brought into the presence of God, and it's Jesus. He is our perfect sacrifice, and he is our great high priest. Um, Look at the way that Jesus is described in verse 19. It says that we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. All of the old covenant sacrifices where animals were killed on behalf of God's people was just a picture of the final sacrifice, Jesus. None of those sacrifices took away a single sin. But Jesus, because he never, ever sinned, and he always, always trusted his Father, his perfection is what made him our perfect sacrifice. He died the death that we deserve so that we could live the life that he has given us. His sacrificial death on the cross was powerful enough so that any and every sinner that comes to him in faith is guaranteed forgiveness and transformation. What we see in this passage is that Jesus, it's not just the blood of Jesus, some Messiah who was killed and stayed dead. Jesus didn't stay dead, did he? Because God the Father raised him to life to show the world that he didn't die for his sins, he died for our sins. And ever since that first Easter, Jesus has been seated at the right hand of God the Father. But he hasn't just been sitting on his hands, waiting for something to do, twiddling his thumbs till he comes back. You know what he's been doing? As our great high priest, he has been praying for us every day. We may not always see it. We may not always feel the assurance of what that means. But take a moment and think about that. Jesus, as our great high priest, has opened the access to our heavenly Father so that we can go with him in prayer, in one day, in person, with full assurance that God the Father hears us. He knows our needs. He knows our sorrows. He knows our pain. He even knows our sins. Yet because of Jesus, he loves us. And he is committed to giving us everything we need to become like his son, Jesus. We can have confidence to go into God's presence because of our Savior and our sacrifice, Jesus, and because he is our great high priest representing us. Um, In the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, God's people could approach him at a distance, right? There was the temple where God specially dwelled. He chose that one place where he on earth could be approached. But he could only be approached once a year by one representative, a high priest. And he would go through the temple to the final place, the Holy of Holies. But there was this huge veil. They said it was like a, a foot thick in the temple. And there was an opening where the priest would go through and offer the sacrifice that would represent the people of God. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, God ripped that veil open from top to bottom and opened the access for sinners like you and me to go into God's presence. So we can bring our unbelieving hearts, our guilt and our shame to Jesus to take away and we can go to God in confidence. I can't tell you how many times in gathered worship I've been brought to tears 
and weeping and joy and hope through the song Before the Throne of God Above. Uh, I, I feel like that song has been written for me, though I'm sure I'm not the only one. Um, I love the hymn. I, I sing it uh, more often um, than any other song. It's my favorite one. Probably will be. So let me read it to you. Now let me sing it. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me, to look on him and pardon me. That has given me hope. You have given me hope when I've heard your voices, when I didn't have a voice to sing. When I, there were days I couldn't even stand in gathered worship and sing. Hearing your voices draw near to God in praise gave me hope and resolve that maybe the gospel really is true for me. I know it's true for you, but it's, it's true for me too. Thank you for singing. That helps us in our next part of the, this passage that explains not only how do we draw near to God with confidence, but how do we draw near to God? What's that look like? And there's four things that are mentioned here. Take a look. In verse 22, it says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We do this together. We draw near to God together in these four ways. First, with a true heart. The opposite of that would be a false heart, wouldn't it? Because we have confidence in Jesus, we can draw near to God with an honest heart. No hypocrisy, no hiding, no secret places. 1 John 1, verse 7 has been a lifeline for me as well. You can turn there. You might even beat me there. 1 John 1, 7 says this. But if we walk in the light 
as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Walking in the light means to be honest to God and his people about who we really are. And when we do that, that's the first step to drawing near to God together. The second is in full assurance of faith. Look at that. It says full assurance of faith, not half-baked. There's no middle ground. It's either faith is 100% or it's not, and it's wavering. Because Jesus' sacrifice and continued high priestly work, we can be so confident that we can have full assurance of faith. Don't you want to live like that in full assurance and confidence and Jesus' forgiveness for you and power to transform you? I know you do. When I first stepped down, there were several brothers who would meet with me regularly. And um, we have this, I don't know, it's not quite a mile loop near our house that goes around a beaver pond. And it's really a nice walk. And we'd usually start off talking about how you're doing, how we're doing. And I would just eventually just go off talking about how discouraged I am and how despairing I am. And more than once, two different brothers at least came to me during that walk and said, Josh, we spent the last half an hour talking about you and your sin. Let's spend the rest of the time talking about Jesus. Maybe. (laughs) They were right. I praise God that he's moved me from there. To want to talk more about Jesus. To want to believe and have this full assurance of faith. An old Puritan once said, For every look at your sin, take 10,000 looks at Jesus. That's what we should do together. Our hearts should also look at in verse 22 that our hearts are purified from an evil conscience. As Christians, we confess our sin to God. And when we do that, we begin to experience that continued cleansing that Jesus has given us. He longs to free us from past sins, but also he longs to lead us through that so that we see his power to change us. Notice the words that says this cleansing from an evil conscience. A conscience is usually a good thing to have, right? Right? <laughs> uh, yes, it is. But an evil conscience is a whole other thing. And I think we're well acquainted with that. It, an evil conscience is a conscience that is haunted by sin. Haunted by your own sin, perhaps. And You just can't get around it. That's all you see. That's all that is looming. And Jesus wants to free us from that. He wants to cleanse us from that and to trust and have confidence in his forgiving work. The last thing, the way that we draw near to God together is our bodies have been washed with pure water. That actually is a a way of looking at baptism. When we're baptized... We're saying to the church and to the world that our old life is dead and we've been raised to new life in Jesus. He is our king and he is our brother. And his father is committed to making us look just like him. That means that God really takes sin seriously. I've learned that. And the consequences are horrible at times, almost unbearable. 
but the fruit of God's discipline is beyond compare. The freedom from sin and the freedom from guilt and shame for me could not have come any other way than the way my father did this. And I love God for that. When we are told here that our bodies have been washed with pure water, it's another way of saying that what you do with your body counts. And we live in our bodies, don't we? So our whole being, mind, soul, and body is Jesus's. And he wants us to use our life to honor him, to draw near God, to God together, and to live a life full of faith. That's the first way that we help each other persevere in this world and then in our lives is to draw near to God together. The second is we must hold fast our hope together. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Do you ever find yourself doubting God's goodness? Like in the last five minutes, maybe. I'm sure all of us were very trusting and happy that God let the power go out. How many still don't have power? Really? Well, thank God. We just got ours back last night. And it's even a simple thing like that can cause us to grumble and doubt God's goodness, can't it? Then on the other side of the spectrum, you get a call and find out your dad's been in the hospital for two days, which is what happened to me yesterday, and I didn't know. He had had a stroke, multiple, and he's incoherent as even right now uh, based on some of the meds that they've given him, and I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going there as soon as the service is done um, to be with my dad. And how do you maintain your hope in God in moments like this? For you, as a church family, if we look back over the last four or five years and the trials that you've gone through, we, we could write a book, couldn't we? Yeah. And yet in the midst of those trials, we realize that our hope is often, it's often tempting to lose the grip on God's promises, isn't it? To, to lose grip and not cling so tightly to God's goodness during those times. We live in a very broken world filled with very broken people. And it doesn't take much for us to lose our grip. And that's why we're reminded here to hold fast the confession of our hope. This is a community project. It's not you individually do this, but let us do this together. And I've seen our church do this time and time again. Just even in our announcements this morning, there were several examples of how this church has been loving each other lately. And that just happens all the time. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen God's faithfulness in, in my wife as well. And the way, the way so many times my wife Heidi has helped me cling to Jesus these past years. I um, had never really struggled with depression, um, but that was a whole new thing after I stepped down. And panic attacks, too. I 
never had had those, but I literally did for a few months. And when I was a complete sobbing mess on the floor, my wife, even though I had sinned against her, was Jesus to me, literally praying for me, literally reading God's word to me so that I might find a sliver of hope to cling to in those moments. I love you so much. Night after night, she would read passages to me so that I might cling to the hope that I knew up here, but had completely lost grip of here. And she would read these promises, God's promises to forgive and to restore and to transform. She was Jesus to me so many times, and still is. And she reminded me in these ways that we can cling to God's promises Because God is faithful even when we are faithless. Think about that. God is faithful even when we are faithless. He's full of faithfulness to us. And that is the reason why we can cling so tightly to our hope. Every week in gathered worship, we take time to remember and rehearse the gospel, don't we? This is why, because we are all walking through these things. Our life is so uncertain. Every day, we don't know what might happen that would cause us to doubt God's goodness, but the blows keep coming at times, don't they? So we remind each other of the gospel to renew our hope. One of my favorite ones is from the Heidelberg Catechism that we we read often. My only comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to Him Christ, by His Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. Isn't that a powerful confession of our hope? I love that one. And the times where I haven't necessarily come into gathered worship believing that, I can tell you there have been many times where I've left believing that because we together have held God's Word and His truth up high and have confessed what is true about God. These are the places where we need to go when we feel like a failure, when we feel like we might be giving, giving up, where we feel like we're at the end of our rope. There is a connection here between faith, hope, and love. We're going to look at love in just a few minutes. But faith in God's saving work for us in the past through Jesus assures us of our future hope in God's promises so that we can risk loving each other in the present. Because we know He provided what we need in the past. He'll provide what we need in the future. Even though we don't know what it is, He does so that we can love right now. Because love is risky, isn't it? You risk so much in loving me through this and walking with me 
in this restoration process. But I also know that you had trusted God to provide what you needed to go through this, especially our elders. I just know for a fact how many times they were on their knees begging God for wisdom to know how to do this. Because they were confident. They had faith in what God has already done for them. They had hope that He would do more for them in the future, not knowing what it is that they could love now. And we together can do the same. We can risk loving the shameful and guilty and broken because Jesus does that. And we want to be like Him. God will always give us what we need to go through what He's called us to. And so, we draw near to God together in faith. We cling to God's hope together. And lastly, let's look at this. We must continue to love one another. Verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. love this passage because it speaks so clearly about meeting together as a church. It's one of the clearest passages that talks about what we should do when God's people come together. And it's all about gospel encouragement, isn't it? And it says at the beginning of this passage in verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. This sounds intense, doesn't it? It it means that love doesn't just happen. Love must be intentional. This word consider is like strategery, you know? Remember President Bush's strategery? We need to be strategic. We need to be intentional about how we will love each other. Love doesn't just happen. And it's not just an individual effort. It's, it's a whole church business. Have you ever noticed in the New Testament in particular, how many times God calls his people to love one another or serve one another. They're they're called the one another's. They're all over the place. Let me just share a few of them. If you want references, I can share that with you later. But here's just a few. Love one another. Serve one another. Accept one another. Strengthen one another. Help one another. Encourage one another. Care for one another. Forgive one another. Submit to one another. Commit to one another. Be devoted to one another. Be patient with one another. Be accountable to one another. Confess to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Carry one another's burdens. Sing to one another. And meet with one another. There's a lot of them, isn't there? Because this is what God has called us to in this mission on earth to live in love like Jesus. We gather for gospel encouragement and to love each other and to encourage each other so that when we go into our jobs and our homes and in our communities, we can be strengthened by God's promises and confident in our standing because of Jesus so that we can live in love like Jesus the rest of the week. Gathered worship is is God's gift to His people to fuel lives of worship throughout the week. When this this passage came um, 
to me a couple week well last week I was praying and asking what I should <laughs> preach on I started looking through this passage and I looked through some of my old notes that I had and um, I didn't know this at the time but this was the second this passage was the second sermon that I had preached uh, here uh, 12 years ago because it was important to me when I began my ministry here that we would see that gathered worship isn't a fad it's not a ritual this is God's plan that we would meet regularly so that we might not lose hope, so that we might not lose our faith, so that we might not give up on following Jesus. This is his plan, that we would meet regularly, that we would sing the gospel to each other. We would pray the gospel to each other. We would preach the gospel to each other, and that we would celebrate and remember the gospel together. How long do you think we're supposed to keep doing this? <laughs> it says at the end of this passage, we need to continue meeting together and encouraging each other all the more as you see the day drawing near. Right to the end till Jesus comes back again and sets everything to rights in our hearts, in our lives, and in this world. One of the most powerful rhythms that Jesus gave his people to fuel our lives of faith and hope and love uh, is the Lord's table. It sums it all up, doesn't it, in a very tangible way. Jesus takes our hands and a whole line of brothers and sisters and he walks us through the Holy of Holies into his heavenly father's presence and says, Dad, we've got more kids, brothers and sisters, and I've redeemed them, and I'm making them more like me, and you're committed to this too. Let's celebrate together. Let us remember your promises together. I don't know when it was, but sometime within, I don't know, around a year after, my train wreck, my you catastrophe. <laughs> you catastrophe means good catastrophe, where God brings unimaginable redemption through horrible things. I remember this one morning where we gathered for communion, and that morning we did stations, and I didn't even want to get up, but me and Heidi walked together, and I was just head bowed low, and just waiting for someone to pray. And uh, we had to be in Sweet Williams, Bill Simon's group. And Bill, I wasn't looking at him. <laughs> Bill says, Josh, would you do us the honor and, and pray for us this morning? I almost fell to the floor. Because up to that point, I really hadn't even thought of that possibility of, of leading God's people in anything. And in that moment, I was reassured of Jesus' love for me and my Father's commitment to me and my right standing before Him because of Jesus. I don't know what I prayed, <laughs> but I know it was a simple thanks 
But I know what happened in that moment was another mile forward in my restoration of being coming, becoming confident in God's power and his love. And he filled me with great hope that morning. And I praise God for that. I thank you, <laughs> Wyndham Baptist Church, for the countless ways, spirit-led ways, that you have loved and led me and my family these past few years. You have strengthened our faith. You've renewed our hope. And you've shown us great love. And I know that God will take us even further as we live and love like Jesus together. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this truth. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for the process of restoring me to yourself and to my wife and to my church. You are so good. And I thank you so much for your wisdom and your love for us. Please lead us in these days ahead to continue to live and love like Jesus. Thank you that you've committed all of your goodness and all of your power to do that. Thank you for the Lord's Supper that we will celebrate in a few minutes. Thank you that we can gather together as forgiven and transformed sons and daughters of yours and be seated around this table to celebrate your promises in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. <laughs>